Ladies and gentlemen, we are currently holding for further traffic clearance. This is your Walt Disney World picture phone operator. How may I be of assistance? You know, somehow Disney fantasy seems a little more alive at night. In fact, it was Walt's favorite time at the park. Your attention, please. Last call for the Walt Disney Railroad. Now departing for a grand circle tour around the Magic Kingdom. Lights. Camera. Action. W. my friend and welcome to the WDW radio show your Walt Disney World information station I am your host Lou Mangello and this is show number 457 and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best Walt Disney World vacation experience when you go to the parks but to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast videos blog live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night my books audio tours and more you can find everything over at www.radio.com. So this week, I'm going to continue taking you on our journey through the parks as we dig a little, and maybe a lot, deeper as we discover and explore 10 secrets you never knew about Adventureland. From its history to details to stories and its hidden and lost treasures, it's going to give you a new sense of understanding and hopefully appreciation of this rich land and encourage you to do some exploring of your own next time you're there. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. I'll also have an announcement about a brand new, very special event coming this fall to Walt Disney World. And then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have more information about upcoming meets of the month, special events, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. into this week's show, I want to take just a minute to talk to you about something brand new, unique, and something I have been working on and am very, very excited about, because thanks to the support and friendship from you and from so many other people, you have empowered me to pursue my passion and turn what I love into what I do every single day, and I want to help you do the same thing and get you from where you are to where you want to be. And that's why I'm so excited to announce and invite you to join me for the Momentum Workshop Weekend, October 15th and 16th in Walt Disney World. Now, unlike a traditional conference, this is a very small event that focuses on you, where you're going to learn not only valuable lessons on how to take your dream and make it a reality, 
but really actually execute on what you've learned while you're there with tools, resources, help, and accountability. It's a small one-day event on Saturday, October 15th with an optional second-day mastermind group. Now, the first day is limited to just 50 people, and it's going to be a combination of presentations and actionable workshops. The second day, the mastermind is limited to just 10 people. And the difference about this event and this day is that we take the time to focus on you. That's why it's so small and limited in size. But more importantly, what I do that's different is that I have web developers, graphics designers, and marketing experts in the room to help you make real changes to your brand and your business and your idea right on the spot. Of course, the event's going to take place in Walt Disney World at the Wyndham Lake Buena Vista, the closest resort to Disney Springs. So not only am I going to share lessons that we can learn from Walt and the Disney company, as well as my own personal journey and from the other speakers, but it's also a great excuse to come to Walt Disney World. There's a lot more in store, a lot more that I want to share and tell you about, but I think it's easier if you just go to the event page at lumangelo.com slash momentum. Tickets are on sale now. I announced this during the live show last week, so ticket sales have already begun. And again, it is a very limited event. 50 people the first day, 10 the second. When it's sold out, no more tickets will become available. If you want to stay at the Wyndham, I'll be able to provide you with a special group discount rate. And if you want to make it a family vacation, you can visit Mouse Fan Travel. They'll give you a no-obligation quote as, as well. I am super excited about this event and the opportunity to not only meet you, but to really help you and continue to help you even after the event is over and turn that thing that you love into that thing that you do every single day. Again, for more information to watch the video and order tickets, visit lumangelo.com slash momentum. reference Walt Disney World as being a place that's so rich in history and detail that it, to me it is very much analogous to the layers of the onion and I've actually been asked to refer to them as layers of the cake to make it a bit sweeter but go with me here because I think like an onion by only peeling back the, the many layers of the Disney parks can you reveal that very sweet core and I think some of the suspense of getting there is half the fun. And I think that at that core, as with any Disney park or attraction and film and detail, is the story. And everything we encounter among those layers helps to shape what that central story really is. And, I, and some of those stories are, are closer to the top layers, right? They're much more easily seen, uh, digestible and accessible. But I think the real reward comes the deeper you dig below that outer veneer. So like any Disney story, it's about the journey and not the destination. And this week, we're going to peel back some more of those layers together, and this time in Adventureland. And now that I'm hungry and thinking about caramelized onions on basically anything at all, I want to welcome a man who also is a bit like an onion. He's built upon layer and layer of, of sweet mystique, 
and he will also help you take you on a wonderful journey as well. He is Mr. Ryan P. Wilson of the MainStreetGazette.com fame. Welcome back, brother. How's it going? Good, man. This um, I, I love these because we started this idea a few weeks ago with Main Street USA, and I think the goal for us was to really highlight some of the deepest layers, right? Sometimes the things that aren't always hiding in plain sight. And I think once you do discover them and you see them, it's that aha moment, right? Where you see why something is what and where it is. Absolutely. It's, there's so many stories and you start moving out of main street where you do have this kind of turn of the century feel. And as we move towards Adventureland, especially there's so many environments, there's so many different stories being told here that it that it's easy to miss those stories or it's easy to not you know dig into the different layers of that onion. And so it's great to have this opportunity to share some of that. And you know, this really goes back for me. And look, I, I love Adventureland and, and I really started to gain a, a better understanding and appreciate of it when I was researching my audio tours. Gosh, I think Adventureland came back, you know, maybe seven years ago, and it made me have a much better appreciation of of not just Adventureland, but I think the parks and the lands and the attractions and the reasoning behind the story, because I would sometimes find something that would explain and help me understand what I am seeing. And other times it might have just been a detail that would make me smile with uh, a sense of satisfaction. And, and as I was doing that, that really became the basis of the audio tours, which, by the way, are adva- available in iTunes and on the WW Radio shop. Um, you know, the goal of the, the tours, Ryan, was for people to either listen to them at home before the trip or take them with them to the parks or just connect people to the experience with the, the binaural sound. But at the heart of what the, the audio tours in this segment is, is to make people have not just a better understanding, but appreciation. I think, you know, you can say, I've been to Adventureland a hundred times. I've seen it all. But I think the more you understand about the why things are there, I think some are, are those of the, the sweetest rewards. Definitely. And, it, it, you know, the same thing with the Gazette. I have, you know, there's a whole thing where I, about, you know, the Walt Disney World record. And it's all these, it's these little details. And it's, you know, why is it there? What is the story behind it? It is. It's that deeper layer of understanding. It's it's taking time to sit in one place long enough to understand it. And for me, you know, every time I do one of those articles, it's just a complete joy to you know be able to say, okay, I got a vague recollection of what this is. Like, let me dig down and let me do some more research and let me let me find it and then let me bring it forward so that so that people can have that deeper understanding when they want it. And for everyone else, it's something that they can pass by. You know, it's, they do this great thing of. You could see it, you can you can understand this part of your story, but you don't necessarily need to invest in it. And then there are people who want to have that time, want to have that investment, want to really flesh out their time there. And it's great to be able to give them the the tools to do that. And the nice thing too, it's a challenge and it's it's a joy, is that it's always changing, right? Something that we yeah. might talk about today in a in a month might be gone, but it is keeping an eye out for those changes and why they happen and what they reference. So I'm really curious today to see, because I think we we very much are clearly like-minded, but how much overlap there is, how aligned we are maybe, or how different our theories, our our thoughts are in terms of what our favorite Adventureland secrets might be. And because you are my friend and you are my guest, I want you to go first. 
All right. So I'm going to go with something that I think is relatively overlooked, uh, even though it's right there as soon as you come into Adventureland, but it is the Swiss Family Treehouse. Um, and there's a couple of stories that, that, that I really love here, but just the tree itself, the tree alone, you know, it's, it's, you have a hundred and I think it's 60 some odd steps. You know, you have to walk up it. It's an attraction I never, ever take the opportunity not to go on. You know, I'm always up in that treehouse. I always wanted a treehouse as a kid. But, you know, it's one of those it's one of those great attractions that people tend to overlook because it's a walking attraction, because it's not necessarily the big, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jungle Cruise type attraction. But the you know, the tree itself, it's modeled after a banyan tree, which could have been found in you know, would would have been found in the, in the tropical climates, but because it's constructed by imagineers, because it is, you know, this this thing that they have created, they've given it its own name, which is, and someone out there is going to have to correct me <laughs> on it, but I probably, because I probably got it wrong, but it's, you know, it's called the Disney Odendron Eximus, which is the out of the ordinary Disney tree, which is similar to, you know, they played off of it. They have one in Disneyland, which is the Disney Odendron Simperflorens Grandis, which is large, ever blooming Disney tree, because you, you know, they're on the opposite coast. You wouldn't want, Want to have the same tree, but they've gone so far as to give it its scientific name to give it its own sense of place. And you know, look, I, I, we've talked about the Swiss Family Treehouse in some of our Wayback Machine segments before. I think you and I like this attraction for many, many reasons, right? Not just because of the deeds, because. It, it people see it. I think they overlook it. We can yeah. get into the whole discussion of how many people have actually seen the Swiss Family Robinson movie. I think the tree itself is replete with details and stories. But I also love the tree because of where it is and what it signifies. And this giant Disney—I'll I'll butcher it too—to make you feel better. <laughs> the Disney Odendron Eximus. It, it helps to set the stage and the story for Adventureland as a whole because when you approach that bridge from the hub and from Main Street USA, the 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 overgrowth and the size of the tree helps to obscure your view of the rest of Adventureland. And yep. I think that's that sense of mystery. Like, you know, the bridge used to be arched. You used to not be right. able to see over the bridge and they changed that to make it more accessible. But I think... Just seeing nothing but that lush, overgrown tree and vegetation, that was part of the mystery, right? You heard yeah. those jungle uh, the jungle drums and you wondered what was on the other side. And I think that is part of the reason why the tree needs to be so big, right? Was it 300,000 mm. plus you know, leaves that are on that tree? Not just to give you a sense of setting and place for the attraction itself, but to help set the stage for Adventureland as a whole. And it's one of those things that just gets better and better with time. You know, if you go back and look at the attraction early on in the views that you could have had of it, it was much cleaner. It was, you know, the, there wasn't this overgrown vegetation. There wasn't the abundance of bamboo that has grown up yet. It was, you could see the tree, you could see the different, you know, rooms of the house from a distance. But as time has, you know, as the, the foliage has grown up over the years, it is, it's much more mysterious. It gives you that wall into Adventureland of, you can hear, yeah, you can hear the jungle beats off in the distance. You can maybe hear the Swiss Capulca playing up in the, up in the branches. But it sets that tone of, this is not your ordinary place. This is, you know, this is a place where we live in trees, you know, and, and we've been ingenious in how we've invented things. It, it kind of sets that entire tone for the land. 
And for me, I think it's attractive and elegant just in its simplicity. Yeah. Right? There's no special effects. There's no real, not a lot of moving parts to the tree. It's an explore your own adventure. But I think that's one of the, the things that, that, to me, is still so charming about it. So um, I will, you know what? I'm going to stay very close. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go right across the, the street, as it were. And I want to take you, my friend, the listener, I want to take you to the home of the first opening day Walt Disney World attraction to ever be closed down. Because if you look across from the Swiss Family Treehouse, you'll see there's the Island Supply Company shop there. And for a while, the the story and the theming was, okay, well, this could be a place that you would go as an adventurer to get some supplies before you go on your next adventure. But if you go back to 19... 71, uh, this was home to, it was also home to the Tiki Tropic Shop, which was uh, another lost treasure. But early on, it was also home to the Safari Club Arcade. And this is actually a, a shooting gallery type arcade that lasted only a few months after the park opened and was the first attraction, and I use attraction in air quotes because it was on the map, to permanently close in Walt Disney World. So it looked a lot like the Safari Shooting Gallery in Disneyland's Adventureland, but the idea was you weren't going to go in there and play maybe the the types of video games that you would think of. They had shooting games and adventure type, and there was maybe 20 to 25 of them, uh, single-player type shooting games where you'd go on an elephant hunt or a a tiger hunt, whatever it is. Uh, So it gave you that sense that you really were on this um, this safari-type adventure in Adventureland. And, and it didn't last very long, I think, for a couple of reasons. I think, one, you had the Frontierland shooting arcade right around the corner. You had the Penny Arcade on Main Street. So if people were looking to play games, you had those types of options. Obviously, that's not what Disney, I think, wanted people to do when they were there. Um, and then later on, it became um, Colonel Hathi's Safari Club, referencing the Jungle Book, and then it was back to the uh, Island Supply Company. Now it's a sunglass hut. I guess you need sunglasses on your adventure. However, um, I I would, and and I will tell you, one of my holy grails is trying to find photos. I have a real tough time finding Mm -hmm. any photos of the old Safari Club Arcade, uh, the first opening day location to be shut down at Walt Disney World. Yeah, it's one of those things I've been looking for too. And they're just, you can find the little descriptions, but it's very very tough to find an actual photo, but you're right. It's one of those things. I think you know Disneyland did it. So, you know, still does it so well. I think with attractions like the Penny Arcade, where you have you, know, you have Esmeralda, the fortune teller. You have Shrunken Ned and his prescription cards. You know, and then when you get to Florida, we had the Frontierland Shooting Arcade, the Penny Arcade, and they've kind. Of, you know, we had Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats for a while. You know, for it, those those kind of you know pauses in your day, those those places to to go play a game or do something do something that's a little bit off the beaten path for an attraction have have not ever really taken hold except for the Frontierland Shooting Arcade over over the decades and it's and it's one of the things I think it's such a almost a lost art for us is it's a, it's one of those great things that we remember from our childhood those kinds of experiences and it's a, it is it's a great piece to have that that first attraction you know whether it was closed or not. But to but to shudder, it, it's just incredible to, to think about the history there that has been lost. And, and I think you know, look, there's this is this is where the the old nostalgicness come at, yep. come back. Obviously, 
it's not an attractor. It's not a moneymaker, right? It was it was a quarter or whatever it was to play. But I think as a kid, it would give you that sense that there, you know, that you were out on an adventure. And whether or not, you know, you 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 know believe in, in hunting or animals or whatever, it was this uh, a simple, innocent way to sort of give kids and probably adults to that sense that they were in adventure and they were on an adventure. They were going on these, uh, you know, safari type explorations. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, you may never get there. So this is your way of, of experiencing it. And whether it was a, you know, a tin pop gun or, you know, what have you, this was, this was your way to kind of have that, that, that moment of adventure when you're not where you're in control of it. And it's not the boat or it's not, you know, the attraction you're on. And, you know, and, I'm sure you, Ryan, a lot of people are, are possibly young. You know, again, this was not a video game. This is where yeah. there was sort of a like the the it was a, a console where there would be a, a rifle like that you would find at um, uh, the Frontierland Shooting Gallery. Right. But oftentimes there'd be like a piece of plexiglass, or there'd be or it would actually shoot little pellets, and it would knock down you know little metal. Or uh, or plastic targets in it, so there was also this this auditory, this tactile sensation that you got as well from playing. Yeah, and it was it was it was it was to give you that real world feel, and and even the Frontierland Shooting Arcade, early on in its career, used those metal pellets, and you know, and part of the reason that they went to the the, the laser rifles at some point was because of the, you know, <laughs> the, the Casper's got really tired of having to repaint all those chips all the time. <laughs> And look, and obviously, it made more sense from a business perspective to have a merchandise shop here as it does to an arcade that had you know twenty twenty five games in it you know that were uh, you know it was twenty five cents per play, right? So, but if and by the way, if anybody has any photos of the Safari Club arcade, uh, I would pay handsomely for that. And by pay handsomely, I'd give you a handshake, a hug, or some cool WWE Radio stuff. <laughs> And then you'd like make scans for me, right? That's how <laughs> absolutely. Works. Yeah. <laughs> so you're back to you. Back to me. All right. So I'm going to talk. We always talk about you, you know to find these stories. You have to look up, down, left, right. All you, you really have to have a 360 view when you're when you're thinking about this. And Adventureland for a long time was really just kind of one color of of pavement, and it changed from the reds and the browns. And but that's that's kind of where it stayed. And then when you know, we get the the Agrabah piece when we get Aladdin coming in. You all of a sudden had this bizarre, and they took that chance that that chance uh, or change to go ahead and, and upgrade the the pavement just a little bit. So instead of this like dirt brown kind of pavement you have, they started embedding in you know ground dirt, ground shells, some some tile mosaics that you would find in in a place like Agrabah and you find pieces of jewelry that have been embedded in the pavement to start setting the scene of things that have been lost in the sand, very, very reminiscent of, you know, of, of Aladdin, things that, that would have come out of the marketplace with a, you know, a strong wind. Maybe it's not actually the most precious thing in the world. And so people can just, so, so they're not really worried about going and picking it up, but it sets that world again for you by just looking down at the ground. And I'm with you, man, because for so look this is one of the things that everybody sees it but most people don't actually they don't see yeah. it right they don't recognize yeah. it uh, because they're walking over they're not looking down or they don't understand the the how and the why and like you i, I dig this detail for two reasons one because yes it does help to tell the story of 
why this is here. And look, let's sort of set the way back machine to 1971. Obviously, the magic carpets of Aladdin wasn't here. It doesn't open until, I think, May of 2001, which occupied a space that, for the most part, had nothing in it except for a few decorative elements. There was planters and and tables and chairs surrounded by those pavilions. And I think the the stuff that's embedded in the ground does two things. One, they took some of those pieces and they embedded them into that ground as a bit of a, a throwback and homage, as it were, to what was there before. But I think it also helps to tell the story of how and why all of a sudden this attraction is here. And, and very briefly paraphrasing, the idea is that the magic lamp of Genie was discovered that the well that used to be in the center of the town was dug up at the turn of the century, and all of a sudden this this giant lamp and attraction uh, pops out. And I think those little pieces give you that sense of, of time and place and story, and it also does refer back to what was there earlier. Yeah, because you have things like, if you think about the Sunshine Tree Pavilion now, there is that little fountain that comes off of the bricks right in front of you know right in front of the pavilion. That, would, that used to go further out. That had to be pulled back a little bit, shrunk up, so that they had room for this attraction, you know, and then you and then you get all those great history pieces, you know, not only on the ground but the spinning camels that that you know will get you wet if you're not paying attention when you're walking by. So you're not looking down, you're looking up at the spinning camels, obviously. But those are from you know the the parade at the studios from 1992. Like you know, it's all these real world and story elements that have all come together at one point. And whatever your feelings are and what you know that attraction is means to Adventureland or to the park as a whole, it, they put all these elements in one place at one time and it comes together so, so elegantly. And I think that's it, right? It's about tying together all these somewhat disparate elements mm-hmm. to create a, a, a singular, linear, somewhat cohesive story. So uh, I'm going to stay in that general area and I want to, I want to show you virtually as it were, what I think slash thought, because I believe it's not there anymore, and I was there yesterday to try and find it again, to what I always felt was one of the coolest, most obscure, and hidden references for me in all of Walt Disney World. This is going to be, here's why Lou never dated. So <laughs> if uh, so, let's sort of go from where we were, right? We're sort of in this general central area, in between the Magic Carpets and the Island Supply Company is the Zanzibar Trading Company, right? They're the importers of exotic gifts from the four corners of the globe. And this has a a very rich history to it as well. This was a a number of different shops. It was Tropic Toppers and the Zanzibar um, Shell Company. But if you Walk into the shop. I think one of the reasons why I like it so much is in addition to all the things that the the little trinkets and treasures and gadgets and gizmos, as it were, that you can purchase, there's also a lot of stuff that's there just to help tell the story. And some of them are a lot more obscure than others. And one of the greatest finds I ever had was if you walked into the corner entrance of the store and looked up on one of the high shelves, there were a lot of uh, decorative items like um, like uh, urns and bales of cotton and, and shipping things. And on one of the urns, there was a, a, a shipping tag that was burnt on one end of it, and it was getting ready to be shipped to a, a man by the name of Sirius Burns, 
get it, at the Ashes to Ashes Mortuary on the colony of Rurupenthe. So just get this. So Lou Mangello sees Rurupenthe and he loses it. He's like, OMG, this is so cool. One of the Imagineers obviously was a Star Trek fan and put this reference to Star Trek here. And you're going, Mangello, this is Disney World. What are you talking about, man? So I see Rurupenthe. I think Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> when, I, I swear, I have, I've, I've kissed a girl before. <laughs> Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when Kirk is banished to this, this uh, Klingon penal colony called Rurupenthe. I'm all nerding out. I'm like, this is so cool. The Imagineer is a Star Trek fan. He puts us in here, like very much hidden away in the corner of a high shelf. And then I realize, Lou Mangello, you're an idiot. Many of you probably agree. But I realize that my reference to Rurupenthe was, it, it obviously was a place, but the reference that I made was wrong. Because it wasn't referencing the Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It was referencing the 1954 Disney adaptation of Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Because that was the name of the slave labor camp where Mm -hmm. Captain Nemo uh, was once imprisoned. And he and a lot of other prisoners who helped eventually become the crew of the Nautilus came from... And then if you remember the film, you'll also understand why the tag is burnt. And I was like... That was my aha moment, and I'm like, that is awesome. And when I completely would always nerd out and either take people on tours or be there with friends and family, I would always go and show that to them, oftentimes getting that glazed over look like, dude, what? seriously? This is what – but if you look up there too, you'll also find – um, like a bale of clothes getting sent to Al-Kazim at the, at the Sultan's Palace in Agrabah. So obviously there's the connection to the magic carpets of Aladdin right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of those other little things. Some of them have been sort of pushed off in the corner. Some of them I have not been able to find. I did not see Rurupenthe when I was there yesterday, shedding a silent tear. Uh, I need to go back and obviously go with somebody that's taller to try and find it. <laughs> but I will tell you, forgive that long, very circuitous story, but that for me was like, it was such a find, right? It was such an unexpected yeah. find because, it, dude, you'll never find that on a map. No cast member for the most no. part is probably going to tell you about it or bring you to it or show it. But when you find it, like that's the reward. Yeah, it is. And, and there's so many of those stories all throughout the parks, but that's one of those great ones. And because I'm such a 20,000 leagues uh we'll call it nerd um obsessive maybe a better term but it's one of those things i've never been able to get a clear picture of it and and i noticed i haven't been able to find it for the past couple of trips but yeah i'll go with you we'll find it again well you know we'll dig it up or or we'll you know we'll we'll be like hey you guys had some props where did they go because we we'll, we'll take care of them for you and and listen, I almost broke out into my really bad James Mason impression, but I think it's just best that we that we move on. Yeah, but it, it, you know, it is one of those great pieces. It ties together another corner of the park. You know, Twenty Thousand Leagues was over in Fantasyland on the edge of Tomorrowland, but it still has its place in Adventureland. It still is that adventure story. So you kind of get to tie it all together. Similarly, switching gears just ever so slightly to another land is you know I like to think about how how. Adventureland is seen from other areas of the park, and there's this great piece for staying in the Sunshine Tree Pavilion area where if you look at the top of the pavilion, there are 
Asian water buffaloes that are that have been put onto the side of it, and it, as the decorative art. And it's, it's a very South Pacific kind of stylized carved art. But from adventure, but from Frontierland, that building can be seen. And so putting these water buffalo there allows it to not be so much of a visual intrusion, but still giving both lands this creature that could be found, you know, in the West as a, as just a regular, you know, bison water buffalo, and in the Adventureland kind of South Pacific feel of of the Enchantiki Room, it ties together. And you know, we've talked about how. Disney and visual intrusions maybe isn't so much as of a hot button topic or a you know no no as it used to as it used to have been, but making sure that they had taken that time then it still gives that both places a sense of place and doesn't disturb too much. And I think that's brilliant, right? We talk about the sight lines; they're they're so cognizant yeah. of what you can see from where. So being able to take an animal and Tweak it enough so that it's an Asian water buffalo on one side and a Texas longhorn cattle right. on the other is brilliant. And the thing about this one too, Ryan, is that 99.99% of people probably won't see it. They'll see it. They won't notice it. Right? They'll, yeah. they'll see it. They won't recognize it. Yep. But once you do, it makes sense. I think it makes you appreciate the effort so much more. And they're they're so hyper aware of continuity of story that while you wouldn't care if you're like oh i'm in frontierland you know that looks a lot like an asian water buffalo right. nobody would say that right no reason no. but for them it's important and then once the detail is there it very much completes the, the circle of the story to make sure that all of the elements are there look that's why we've talked about you know, the the Main Street theater building is built to full height because you can't see the contemporary from Main Street. It would ruin the continuity of story. Right. This is one of those details that not necessarily important to the guests, but important to Disney. And I think that's the differentiator. Yes, yeah, so that they made that conscientious effort to not disturb their storytelling or someone else's. You know, you think about a lot of Adventureland was was Mark Davis. But when you move over to Frontierland, there, there are other people's attractions there. They're, they're not in competing with each other. They're, they're making sure that that one person's work doesn't disturb another person's work. So it's a respect to one another. And it just creates a wonderful, holistic environment for everyone who comes through. And that's it. it it's about making sure that that place, um, you know, that the environment, again, everything speaks. It's got to yeah. make sure... It is, it is all speaking the same language, for, for lack of a better word. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay exactly where you are. See, we're, we're brothers we're, from another mother. We're, we're thinking exactly. the same way. Uh, I want to take you to, and I know I'm sort of bringing you to things that aren't necessarily there anymore, but I think there are important things to talk about because you never know uh, when something like this might come. Well, it sort of has come back to a certain degree. I want to take you to... I'm going to stay at the Enchanted Tiki Room, not no longer under new management, um, because this was once home to the very first interactive adventure game in the parks before Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom and the the Pirates League and the Pirates Adventures. Because back in the in the late '90s, I guess it were, and this was it did, did not last very long. Um, the Tiki Room was the starting point for an interactive game experience in the parks 
known as mm-hmm. the Adventureland Challenge. And this was a treasure hunt type game that you could play alone or as a group. And you would be given a set of clues that you would have to follow in order to locate this golden idol, which the cast member told you was hidden figuratively somewhere in Adventureland. So you would get a map and you would get one clue that would lead you to another and another, another. And eventually you would have to solve a puzzle on the back of the map that would tell you where the idol were was. And so whoever found the idol first, and you also had to answer all the questions correctly. You couldn't just sort of, you know, um, sometimes flip it over and go to the end. Yeah. yeah. Like if you do midship detective on the, uh, on the dream and the, and the fantasy, sometimes you can sort of figure it out and just get to the end. You had to actually answer all of the questions. Uh, you got this certificate from Colonel Wayne P. McSwagger, as if that didn't scream 90s. Um, right. And you got a prize. Sometimes they would give you like a, a front-of-the-line pass. Again, this was sort of pre-fast pass. So they would give you a, a front-of-the-line pass or a pass for a free snack item. The game only, it was a short thing. It lasted 20, 30 minutes. They did it uh, a few times throughout the day um, at specified times. But it only uh, it only ran for a couple of years. So I think it started probably in... 97 98 99 and only ran till about uh 2000 or so yeah it, it I, I everything i have on it yeah it, it's it was a couple of years i think by 2001 it had it had relatively shut its doors and the gold medal had gone away and uh and we were done with that but it, it was kind of the groundwork for these interactive attract you know interactive treasure hunts that we have now whether it's right the pirate adventures or sorcerers of the magic kingdom uh, you know, and I just you know, I don't know what it is. I just I love these kinds of attractions. Anytime it's a, you know, it's a map or it's a clue or it's a scavenger hunt, it's it's fun. And and I think for you know me especially and people like us who have been for so many times, it gives them something new to do. It's not the same attractions. It's not the same, you know, same monotony every single time. It's 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 something new. You're gonna you're you're challenging yourself. You're looking at things. That you may maybe never looked at, or you know, like okay, now with the pirates piece, there's a boat over here. Great, but if you're playing the game and you happen upon that boat, you know, it's going to blow open. There's going to be a sword inside. You know, there's all these different elements now, and so it, it gets people moving in a different way in the parks. And I just I think that that's terrific. And look, I I love the the pirates game that that's currently in. Walt Disney World. I think it does that same thing. There's a replayability factor to it because there are so many different maps. It's interactive. It gets you to some of these little nooks and crannies. Uh, and I dig the fact that they had something like this. Again, a, a zero tech, not even low tech, a zero tech adventure yep. um, in the 90s that I think springboarded things like Sorcerers and things like the, the Pirates Adventure, the Treasure of the Seven Seas, mm-hmm. which is currently in Adventureland. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there was that one point you, they had the the you know little handheld like you know eight bit video game thing that you could go around and you would activate different games on your on your console and as you went around and you could play these little levels of it's a small world or what have you and it, it was just trying to find ways to get the technology to meet what guests were were wanting to do in the parks. And, and I will say, as a quick aside. I so and look, I, I dig things like the the Agent P game and World Showcase, mm-hmm. but. I love the fact instead of pen and paper, right? Giving somebody yeah. the uh, giving somebody a map, giving them a pen, and letting them go and do it because I, I think, yeah. and maybe this is the parent in me. I, I see 
my kids, I see other kids in the parks looking down at their phones. And it's one thing if they're, if they're playing it, but I think it's a, det- a detractor sometimes from the family experience mm-hmm. because sometimes having the phone in your hand is such a personal thing. When, right. the, when all of you are gathered around a map and you are putting your heads together and playing together, uh, yep. there is something, again, in the simplicity of it and the, the low technology of it. It forces you, Dad, to stop you know answering emails. It te- makes Mom stop checking her Facebook. It makes the kids stop playing whatever or, or texting whatever, and it makes you come together as a family, and I think yeah. that sort of harkens back to what the goal of this place was at the very beginning. I, I think you're absolutely right, and you know, and to have something tangible in your hands, it's not, you know, it's not a, a you know, an avatar on your phone. It's not, you know, you trying to, to figure out what the fast past time is. It's, it is. It's something tangible. It's something textile. You 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 have to you have to engage with one another. You you have something else in your hands, and you know. And then even that that's a memory you get to take home because now you can go. You can take that map. You know, maybe you don't frame it to put it on your wall, but it's it, but it's a it's a piece of memory that you get to hold on to. And I think that's that is at the true heart of the experiences. And by the way, my friend, the listener, if you happen to have one of these <laughs> old maps from the Adventureland <laughs> Challenge, email me. Let's talk. <laughs> All right, back to me. I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to move us on down to Caribbean Plaza. Because I think there's a story here that got, that got put in a couple of years ago that I, that I really love. And I don't know that people take the time to really look at it. And that's for Tor- Tortuga Tavern. And so if you go and you look at Tortuga Tavern, you see the sign. You see the, the, the pirate uh, wench on there. And it, that's great. We all know Tortuga from Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, that's where we know that's where, where all these, these uh, ruffians kind of hang out. But, and that, you can let the story die there, but there's so much more to it. You, you, have, you start looking and you realize in the cart there's another sign for the Faithful Bride, which is, you know, the, obviously what the name of this restaurant was before in terms of story. So you start looking around, you find A. Smith, who is your proprietor. That stands for Arabella Smith. Now we're going to go outside the parks. We're looking at the Jack Sparrow, the young adult Jack Sparrow series, where there was a character named Arabella who had left her father, left Tortuga, had gone off on this adventure. We find out that you know the faithful bride that was in the original uh, poster was actually her mother, Laura uh, Smith, and we find out that you know what she wasn't quite as faithful or as you know she wasn't kidnapped, she wasn't murdered. She became a pirate herself. She became this you know, really renowned uh, pirate lord or lady. And so Arabella has eventually come home. She takes over her father's tavern. She renames it the, uh, the Tortuga Tavern. And, these, and all these pieces of this story are kind of spread throughout there. If you've read the Jack Sparrow series, it, it gives you something else to pull, to pull from. But it's all within the restaurant if you really are looking for those layers of story. And then if for, for, you know, the people who are really – you know, Disney history buffs, you know, Disney world history buffs, you can look up and in the rafters, you can find the sign for El Parata y El Perico, which is the pirate and the parrot, which is what the restaurant was before. They kept that old sign as well. So there's all these different stories, again, kind of converging in one spot that I don't think people are, are enjoying. And look, we could talk about how the, you know, Tortuga Tower is not necessarily open regularly enough for people to really get in there and explore. But sometimes when that's closed, it's some of the best times to explore to look for these details because you're not going to be interfering with someone's lunch. 
See, I heard everything up until the word lunch, and then I started thinking and then you back went to taco it. salad. I, right, I was thinking. No, I remember when they used to have the empanadas. Yes, I Ay, do. Dios mio, I love the empanadas. <laughs> but see, I love that man because this is one of those things that it. So some of those details, maybe a, a young or an adult reader will see that and get it because they know it from the right. books. They have a. a, a teaching opportunity to tell their sister, their dad, their brother, their cousin, their friend, whoever they're with, oh, you know why this is here? Because there is this continuing series of books beyond the films and then lead them down that path. Or when people see it, they start to wonder why that's there. They get to, look, you know, that is a, a little, if you want it to be, a game in and of itself. When you see a name like that, who is it? Why is that person there? Why is this name in this restaurant, in Adventureland. How does it tie in together? When you see the El Parada sign up on the rafters, what is that there for? You can start to trace back, oh, it was El Parada. Oh, this used to be the Golden Galleon. It was the the portrait deck was there. You know, you can start to, again, going back to how we preface this segment, start to peel back some of those layers. So if you're sitting there eating your lunch or like me, usually waiting for everybody to finish or hopefully not finish so you can finish their lunch or the rain to go, you've got an opportunity to take a relatively nondescript space that doesn't appear on the map and make it be something that is a little bit more fun, a little bit more interactive. And again, if you want it to be a little bit more of a deeper layer of the onion, and who knows how many kids may not have known that there who love the pirates movies that didn't know that there were additional books beyond the the films that they can continue those adventures in yeah and and, and that's the key of you know thankfully the books you know books are books books are around forever you're going to be able to find them you're going to be able to read them so this is your chance to find that story to explore it you know, and it, and it's similar to what we do you know we find these names and we may or may not recognize them offhand, and then we get our treasure hunt. You know, we get to go find why that's important, and for guests, you know, to be able to see, you know, to start putting two and two together. When you see one sign up, another sign down in a cart below, or you see this thing in the, you know, the sign in the rafters, or you know, the the code of conduct on the wall. Wh- why is it there? What story is it telling you? How is it furthering your adventure? I'm still stuck on lunch, so, mm. <laughs> um, you, you know. I wasn't going to go here, but now I'm going to just for fun because it, <laughs> it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about food. Um, I, I'm going to go from El Parada or the Tortuga Tavern, and we need a moment of silence. Rest in peace, my long-lost friend, the lost snack bar of mm-hmm. Adventureland. And I'm sure you know exactly where I'm going right across the street because yeah, right by the exit of the Jungle Cruise and – Again, rest in peace, what was Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats. You're going to find a small tin-roofed building, kiosk, shack, for lack of a better word. Palm frond, kind of weaved together, bamboo, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even think the sign is on. For years, the sign was still on there. No, yeah, Um, I don't think it was there last time I was there. Yeah, it used to be called the Oasis, Mm -hmm. and it opened uh, about a year and a half or so after the park did. And it was a snack. Look, you've just spent weeks out on the many rivers and the, the Mekong and the Amazon. You're obviously starving after your jungle cruise adventure and oh so punny jokes. So there were, um, you know, potato chips and uh, uh, drinks. I think they had sandwiches, maybe, dare I say, even a sandwich. There sometimes there used to be tables out there too. So if either 
you were waiting for people to get off if you didn't want to ride the Jungle Cruise or after you got off, you wanted a little snack. That was a little uh, a snack stand, but uh, it wasn't there for very long. And then it sold, it had some merchandise for a little while and then closed in the 90s. And I've never, ever seen it open ever since. No, I haven't. Yeah, not in the past almost 20 years. I don't think I've seen I've seen it open, but it was, you know, and and true to Jungle Cruise. Could we say that everything tastes like chicken? No, no, everything <laughs> didn't taste like chicken, um, but it did. It had, a, it had kind of a variety of snacks. It was someplace to, to grab something to go. I think at one point it sold some film um, and some other things, you know, because you just got off your safari. You might need to reload on film. So so you were able to keep going. But uh, yeah, it's one of those places. That it still sits there. You can still see it. You know, I, I occasionally get people I go to the parks with and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, I can tell you a whole story. They're like, that'd be great. Why isn't it still here? And I'm like, your guess is as good as mine. Well, and the other thing, too, and this is and I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm going to sneak one in here that, that maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. Because it was a place to get snacks and it was a place to sit out there. What were you overlooking? Right. You were overlooking that little extension of the river that was there. And that was not there by accident because if you would sit there enjoying your little snack, you would often get to see the Plaza Swan Boat fly mm-hmm. by. Am I stealing one of yours? Nope. Okay, good. So um, the Plaza Swan Boats is another one of those long lost attractions. It was only around for 10 years. Uh, I did a show on it years ago. I'll link to it in the show notes. Where we talked about yeah. this lost attraction at length. It operated from... I want to say spring of 73 until the middle of 83. And it mm-hmm. left from what is net. Well, it's not there anymore. There used to be a swan <laughs> boat in, landing. Yeah. Rose garden, everything. Yeah. Yeah. The, but where the Rose garden was on the, uh, on the, by the bridge to Tomorrowland, you would leave from that dock there. And dude, I love this attraction that wasn't always open very often, but you rode on one of these beautiful, elegant, slow moving swan boats. But the cool thing was, you got to see the entrance to Tomorrowland and Main Street USA, and then you went through the outskirts of Adventureland. So it took you around. Look, next time you're in Adventureland, look down at the waterway, watch how it's still, even with the introduction of the new park and fountain areas in, in the hub, look at how the waterway went by the Crystal Palace, around the Swiss Family Treehouse, over by the Jungle Cruise, went back over under the drawbridge, by Liber- by Fantasyland, uh, under through the castle, and then returning to the Rose Garden in Tomorrowland. It was like a Wedway people mover on water. Um, I-, I dig it. I love the views, not just from the attraction itself, but like if you were sitting there by the Oasis, the views that you would get from land as well. Yeah, you get these elegant swan boats going by. or you know, Because of that, we, we had things like a swan topiary for a long time down by the entrance to the, to the Rose Garden. But it, you could see the park in such a different way. It was such an interesting thing. It was almost we, – we, I, I liken it to the, the Storybook Land canal boats from Disneyland. It was, it was something different. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly a, you know, a top-tier attraction. You weren't going to be going by these scenes, these animated scenes like you do in the Jungle Cruise. But you got such a better perspective, and it was able to rest and relax and just just let the day go for a little for a few minutes. You're right, red uh, the red way on water. Yeah, and I think you know I think part of the the thought process when it first opened was, oh, we need a slow moving little attraction for you. Know, look, this is a place for families to come together. Grandma, right. grandpa need an attraction to go on, and I think that's not what it ended up being. Um, again, it wasn't the most popular. I think it was a. I want to say it was a. 
a D ticket attraction. Maybe I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was a D ticket attraction. It was long. It lasted probably around 20 minutes. And I think it was sort of, I think it had a lot of um, old, old Florida to it, right? It's one of those things you would find elsewhere. Like, oh, we're going to go to Cypress Gardens and take the little boat ride. They, it was the same type of thing in Walt Disney World. I think if it, if it came back now, it would kill. Like it would be awesome yeah. because it is um, that TTA type attraction. But obviously, the the waterways have have changed and those pathways are no longer there. But um, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to look up and see and try to remember what episode you have, you should go back and listen to the old uh, the old show about the swan boats and yeah, we gush on it for quite a while. <laughs> You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep us outside of Adventureland proper for just a minute, and I, it's one of those things. It's you know they didn't have to. The Imagineers and the design teams didn't have to do this, but they did. And it's when you're getting on to the Walt Disney World Railroad and you're just starting from Main Street Station and you're heading on to Frontierland, you're passing right along the backside of Adventureland. You really can't see a whole lot. It's a lot of foliage. You know, there's some jungle sounds playing, but. They really didn't have to do much beyond that, but they did. And on a road that you cross over where they have railroad tracks, they've given this the name of Outpost uh, Desolation. Is that right? Or Desperation? Desperation. Mm-hmm. And you have this great signpost that has you know wayfinding for places like Serengeti, Karnak, uh, Rio Biobio, and Angkor. You have all these train parts. You have canteens on this little metal shack. They didn't have to tie it into the land that was right there. But they made a conscious decision to put a story element there so that it wasn't just green foliage the entire way around to Frontierland. I – you win. I dig this, man. <laughs> I dig this because you you sort of went outside the box or outside the berm as it were. It's a total throwaway for the most part, right? I think, again, yeah. 96.8% of the guests don't ever see it. But it does very much – tie in it, it's so obscure it's such obscura but it does really tie into um the, why it's there and an attraction that is not necessarily part of Adventureland proper which is the railroad but obviously it is it passes through it yeah it's just you know it, it's one of those things that they, they didn't have to do it you know you could have just left the road there we could have passed over it and, no, it, and nobody would have given it any mind and like you said, like 98% of guests don't look at it. They don't see it. You know, it's, it's only visible from the right side. You can only see it if you're, on, if you're that last person in basically on your train car. It, it goes by in a flash. If you're not looking down, you're not seeing the extra railroad ties or the, or the wheels or the spokes. You know, you're not seeing any of these other details. But it's, it's there because, you know, somebody – some, you know, poor guy got left out there because they needed somebody there, you know, to light the torches for the railroad track or to, you know, change the signals, whatever they needed. It, it literally is a, I mean, the shack's big enough for like one person to stand in. It's, it's a throwaway piece, but it, but it just ties everything together so nicely in that moment that it, that it's a great thing to have there. So I know we said 10, I'm sure we're on like 11. I think, or- I think that was my, it was at least my six. Yeah, exactly. All right. So here's a question. Do you have any more? No, I have broad categories. <laughs> I know. All right, so let's do this. Let's um, let's maybe hit one more each, and and if you have any honorable mentions, uh, get to that. Because there, there's one that I would love to touch on. I, I don't want to necessarily steal yours. Um, no, go I, for it. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to gloss over it, and hopefully it's not yours, because 
I think some of the coolest details, and we could almost do an entire segment on these details themselves, are the look when you when you're on Main Street USA and you look at the windows. Each of those windows, each of those names, tells a story. And I think in Adventureland, there are some of the best, sometimes most obscure, yet most rewarding references about people and stories outside of Main Street USA, and those are the crates at the end of the Jungle Cruise. Yep. Did, was that one of yours? No, no. Okay, uh, so, um, God, I, <laughs> I, I wasn't, I was going to mention it as one I was going to pass over, um, <laughs> but since I mentioned it, I guess I have to. Oh, well. So Just, go, just, just dig in. Come I on. know, man. All right, so uh, back in the 90s when they redid the queue to make it larger and put a lot more shaded areas, thank you, uh, they also added added a lot of new props and jokes. And one of the very first DSI Disney scene investigations I ever did way back when I started the show was about we did like 45 minutes on the queue of the Jungle Cruise. And you're like, Mangello, we're not even on the attraction because there's so much in there and from the, the storage cage to the radio broadcasts to some of the signs that you'll see there. Um, and, and maybe I don't want to, maybe I want you to go back to, to see that because I want you to see references to, or references that used to be there to everything from uh, Pleasure Island to Imagineering to Anaheim to uh, to Ted Sears and, and Harper Goff and Winston Hibbler and, and Waythel Rogers and so many of the other Imagineers who helped to shape not just um, uh, Disneyland, but certainly Walt Disney World. And the, the ones that I want to sort of make you, I, I'm going to do this instead. I, I want to I send people on a little bit of uh, an adventure them, themselves rather than me sort of uh, <laughs> give it away to them. Because if you go to the Jungle Cruise and look whether you either go by the uh, the the exit or if actually you come out of the exit, if you look to the right hand side, there are a a number of crates that are there when you exit. Um, they're off in the corner. Sometimes they're covered a lot by. Um, um, by ropes and, and netting and things like that. Look for, First, look up, because you'll see lots of different references and in-jokes that are there as well. But if you look at some of the crates, you'll see uh, references to Swiss Family Robinson, right? The attraction that is close by. And more importantly, actors like Tommy Kirk and Merlin Jones. And if you're wondering who Ken Anakin is, it's not Anakin as in Skywalker. It's Anakin as in Ken, who was the director of the Swiss Family Robinson. And I dig these men, not just because they reference the people who helped make the film, but they reference the attraction that is right across the way, going back to what you said at the beginning, how it makes it all tie in together, how it makes it all a very cohesive story. And, and this is something I think we've seen a lot more of over over, especially the past 10 to 20 years, is tying these stories together. They're not, they're not just... You know, standalone adventures. They do have some interaction with one another. So you do. You see, you know, Bill Evans. You see Harper Goff. You see Ken Anakin, who actually does have a Star Wars tie, but that's a whole another story. <laughs> um, you see all these. You see all these great names, and and you know, the, 
the crates that they're on kind of give you a hint of 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 who they were or what they've done and it is it's that level of storytelling you know they just recently have added into the queue you know, some more hints to indiana jones just tying all these pieces together has have you know, really truly uh, brought adventureland closer and closer together and look anytime that you could have a reference to Hawaii Five O in the jungle <laughs> at the end of the Jungle Cruise, and now I'm going to make you go and try and find what that is. But uh, yeah, again, it sort of brings it all together and, and sort of helps to tie together this overarching story of Adventureland, the place. Yeah, it is, and it, it, it does make it its own place. It's not just like we said, you know, all these different attractions. It's a it's a real place, and you're really in it. All right, one more and or honorable mention for you. Sneak in as many as you would like. <laughs> Again, I think it's one of those things that we we could do an entire show on is is the Skipper Canteen stuff. We didn't really mention it at all. You know, it's the new it's the new dining location in Adventureland, and the place is just replete with layer upon layer of detail and story. It ties into you know, there are things in there that will tie you into Disney Springs. There are things there that will tie you into. Disneyland to Pleasure Island, you know, between the names, between the the totems you could find there, the you know, the different rooms, the different artifacts. The the place is just a treasure trove for story hunters. And it you know do yourself a favor, go eat. It's delicious food anyway. But take time to really, truly explore. Look at the bookshelves. Pay attention to the names. They're telling you multiple stories in those in just in the names of the books. Uh, it, it's it's so 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 incredible for anyone who who loves Adventureland in any way, shape, or form to just go and dig in. Uh, it's, again, you said dig in. I think about eating at Skipper Canteen, let alone the the details in there. And, and if you go back, that's actually on show four thirty three. We did a live review of it. We talk a little bit about the story, but we could probably do almost a mini DSI just of the skipper. I, Ryan, uh, yeah. I, I'm sensing research trip in your future. Research trip, yes. See? There's a listen, and there's always food. Research there's always lunch. food. Research in- lunch. <laughs> uh, all right, just so just very quickly, um, I, I want to just, there's, there's one other thing I wanted to reference. It's more of a uh, rest in peace, oh, how I miss you so, uh, over by Pirates of the Caribbean where the Captain Jack Sparrow live interactive stage show used to be i i very much miss another lost treasure that was there and that was the old live music yep. that, there, that there used to be um I, you've heard me say if you've listened to the show before I, I love 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 the live music and live entertainment both in and out of the parks um it's one thing i think disneyland does very very well especially in places like new orleans square disney world walt disney world used to have a lot more live music whether it was the pearly band or whoever was on Main Street, but in Adventureland by the old uh, Fuente de la Fortuna, you would find one of the best live musical acts, which was JP and the Silver Stars. It was a steel drum band from Trinidad. I, I dig that music. I-, I love it having, you know, travel there, especially as a kid. Uh, they used to be called the Adventureland Steel Band. Then they actually went to the JP and Silver Stars. They actually, if you have the old, uh, album of Disneyland and Walt Disney World from the 80s. They perform a song called uh, Adventureland Delight, as well as a few other songs as well. Um, they had a couple other acts here over time. They had a, a tumbling group there, I think in the early 2000s, uh, a couple of African-inspired 
of bands as well. And unfortunately now that live music in that area for the most part is lost. Uh, but I want to leave you with the holy grail, as it were, of details. The favorite detail that you probably can't see. And you're like, what's the point of telling me, Mangello? I'm going to tell you anyway. Years ago, um, someone introduced me to this little detail in Pirates of the Caribbean. And now, especially recently, with the changes to how the queue is set up, the standby queue is on the left. The fast pass queue is on the right. As you know, as you would walk through the uh, queue of Pirates of the Caribbean, that too helped to tell a story. You're in this Castillo del Moro and you would walk through this labyrinth of armories and, and dungeons and all these different types of chambers, but each side of the queue showed you a different part of the fortress. So one side was more about the, the where the soldiers might live and dine. There was a, a nice little courtyard on the left-hand side. And on the right side, which is sort of the, the more military side of the fortress, um, you'll see the cannons, you'll see the, the armory, you'll see the dungeons. And in that dungeon, obviously, you know, like Mangello, we know about the pirates playing chess. Who do you think <laughs> you're kidding? But you obviously, I'm sure you know about the story about the stalemate and there's the Mark Davis story, but that's still not where I'm going. Uh, if you look very carefully and you probably can't see it, but I will post a photo that I have on the show notes over at www.radio.com. The two pirates that are uh, at the stalemate, you know, for years, maintaining that same pose, contemplating what to do next. One of those pirates is actually a football fan. You're saying, Mangello, you're obviously hungry. You've lost it, man. (laughs) On one of the skeletons, one of the skeletons actually has a white skull cap. And clearly one of the Imagineers or maintenance people or whoever it were was, is, as long as assuming that person is still working there, was a football fan because in very small letters, handwritten on the side of the skull cap, spells out J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, if you don't believe me, I have a picture and I will, I will put it there. I don't know if the... Pirate Jet Fan is still there if the skull cap has changed over the years, uh, especially now without a fast pass. I can't get to that side of the queue. I don't have a camera with a long enough telephoto lens, but I will post a photo. Uh, it's obviously not something that is canon. It is not official. Um, I may be canceled. I'm traveling pirate. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I just think it was a, uh, a, a neat little uh, mark that the. Uh, um, that the Imagineer had left on uh, on the work that he had done, and and you know there's so many of those little details, and you know we we talk about Imagineers' names and initials throughout the parks, you know, but it's always nice that that they get to you know that whether officially or unofficially they get to leave a piece of themselves there. It's 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 a nice touch. Yeah, and obviously it doesn't fit. There's they, the word jet did not exist, you know, during that time period. But I just thought it was a neat little. Again, it was a neat little find that very well might not be there anymore. But it was just uh, fun to reference. But look, man, we you know we hit ten, twelve, fifteen, however many uh, of these yeah. uh, secrets that you probably never knew. And again, we were trying to talk about some of the things that were a little bit more obscure. 
And there's a ton more and they're yep. always changing and they're always uh, evolving. Sometimes they are getting lost. Uh, every day, new ones are being added. Um, that's one of the things that I love about going back to the parks is this sense of um, free-flowing discovery and, and exploration. Uh, I, I recently did, a uh, as part of the WW Radio Nation, I do a scavenger hunt for the Nation members every month, and I recently did Adventureland, and I found probably 20 things for just for some of the questions in the scavenger hunt that I had never seen or talked about before and certainly weren't in the audio guide that I did years ago. So, um, and very quickly, just to shamelessly plug, if you want to get a copy of the audio guide, you can visit the shop at www.radio.com. You can get the, them also in iTunes. If you want to get one of those cool scavenger hunts every single month as part of the nation, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Um, and, and if you want some more amazing stories uh, from a really good guy, you got to go and visit MainStreetGazette.com and follow Ryan P. Wilson on all the social. And you, my friend, our friend, I want to hear from you. I want to know what is your favorite Adventureland story or detail, share it with me on Facebook over at facebook.com slash Radio. Like the page there. Tweet me at Lou Mangiello. Send me a picture. Uh, leave a voicemail. And if you, we missed one, you can leave that in there too. Brian Wilson, you, uh, you are a good man, Charlie Brown. I dig doing these with you. Me too. These are always a good time. And even though we're talking about secrets, I somehow end up hungry. We all, we're always going to end up hungry. It's just because you know it's our constitutions. We have to. We have to eat. Hashtag stay hungry. <laughs>Time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details, not just in what you see, but sometimes in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via email or our online forum for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week's question was a where in the world, and I do these to hopefully either introduce you to places you've never been before or make you understand and recognize why things are where they are and maybe why they have the names that they do. And last week's question was very straightforward. It was to tell me, where in Walt Disney World can you find Salmon Island? Now, for some people, Salmon Island might sound like heaven or Nirvana, an island that is full of nothing but salmon and sushi. But this one is actually in Canada, in Epcot Center, in World Showcase, because it's from Salmon Island that you enter the Maple Leaf Mine, which used to be called the Moosehead Mine, and that is the queue area for the O Canada film. And if you look very carefully, that entire area is themed to Canada's Klondike era, and there's lots of uh, shovels and lanterns and mining equipment to really give you the sense of time and place and authenticity. That being said, I took all the correct entries again, thanks to the more than a thousand of you that entered, got this one correct. And last week, once again, you were playing for the 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book. 
all seven of my virtual audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, some WW Radio stickers, and if that wasn't enough, I also threw in one of the new fancy schmancy WW Radio hot and cold travel mugs, which is not available on the shop, although everything else is. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is... Emily Todd. So, Emily, you use the online form. I have your address. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, we are in Adventureland this week. We'll stay in Adventureland for the trivia question, and I'm sure you're familiar with the little orange bird in the sunshine tree, and if you know the song, you also know that He had all kinds of sunny thoughts that appeared above him in little orange clouds because that's how he communicated. And the song was and still is very catchy and told his entire backstory. And it also helped sell some Florida orange juice, I'm sure. So you probably think that you already know the answer to this week's question because you're expecting me to ask you who wrote the song, right? Not quite, because we know and love that it was written by the Sherman Brothers But your question this week is to tell me who sang the Orange Bird theme song. So you have until Sunday, August 28th at 11.59 p.m. to either email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Better yet, use the online entry form over at www.radio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Use the form there. Give me your shipping address. And this week, you're playing for an even bigger prize package because you get the 102 Ways book. All the audio tours, a magic band cover, stickers. I'm also going to send you one of the travel mugs. And because we're talking about the song written by the Sherman Brothers, I'm going to send you an autographed, a hand-signed photo of Richard Sherman by Richard Sherman. Because why would anybody else sign it? Again, you have until Sunday, August 28th at 11.59 p.m. to tell me who sang the Orange Bird theme song. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much once again for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate you and the time that you share with me. I also want to thank some of the new members of the WW Radio Nation family, including Christopher Zanio, Lisa Lazula, Haney, Brandon Hamlin, Flickering Gloom, Bob E. Gasper, Jesse Campbell, Nicole Ostrowski, Vicki Maris, David Harrell, and Marty Engel. I sincerely appreciate you and everybody else who is part of the WW Radio Nation. If you would like to find out how you can not only help the show and get rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, access to our Facebook group, personalized magic band covers, logo gear, backpacks, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, live private group video calls and more, you can visit www.radio.com support. And remember, it's completely optional but that a portion of the proceeds will go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation through our Dream Team project. Again, you can visit www.radio.com support. All right, a couple of quick announcements before we go. The Purge is still going on, and by The Purge, I mean The Purge of much of my Disney collection, which has been sitting in boxes and in closets and in storage for years. It's time for me to let some of it go and share some of it with you. So every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern, I have about 10 to 15 new auctions up on eBay, everything from cast member materials 
to documents, maps, attractions, scripts, uh, theme parks, merchandise, books, artwork, one-of-a-kind collectibles, and more. You can visit www.radio.com slash eBay in order to check out this week's auctions. Got some really cool things up this week and plan for the next coming weeks. Again, it's www.radio.com slash eBay. Also, don't forget to please visit the website at www.radio.com. We've got an amazing team of blog writers. Subscribe to our free email newsletter, videos, and lots more. You can also be part of the community and the family, and there's lots of ways to do that. First, I'd love to hear from you directly. So if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. If you want to call the voicemail, be heard on the air, call 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. But of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, I am a firm believer that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And I want the opportunity to meet you in person. That's why I do monthly meetups every month in Walt Disney World. For August, our next meet of the month is coming up this Saturday, August 27th. It's going to be special. It's going to be over at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Hotel at the outdoor beach and pool area because they are going uh, and having their Sandtastic weekends this and the following weekend. There's sand sculpture classes, demonstrations, music, food, and more food. So you can come join us for the meet. You can stay at the hotel over the weekend if you visit swandolphin.com slash Sandtastic. Again, that's Saturday 2 to 4 p.m. out by the pool area. If you follow me on social, I'll post that day exactly where we're going to meet up. Uh, we also have monthly meetups every month in Walt Disney World, so check the events page at facebook.com slash Radio. A couple of big events that are coming up. Obviously, our e-ticket adventure, our cruise on the Disney Magic from New York to Puerto Rico is this November. You can actually still join us if you want. But even if you're not coming on the cruise and you're up in the tri-state area, you are more than welcome to come and join us for our kickoff event in New York City. That is going to be Friday, November 4th in the city. You don't need to be coming. The event is almost sold out. So if you're thinking about coming, get your tickets now. Uh, and next year, if you can't join us on the cruise this year, I'm really looking forward to our June 25th through the 30th, 2017 five-night cruise on the Disney Dream. What I love about it is that it's on the Disney Dream and it's the double dip to Castaway Key. You hit Castaway Key not once, but twice. It's my favorite port, and we are planning some very cool things for our Double Dip Cruise next year. Again, visit the events page by visiting www.radio.com and clicking on the events tab there. Also, stay tuned for other meetups and events not in Walt Disney World, as I travel a lot, especially this time of year, uh, to speak at businesses and conferences and to schools. I often try and do meetups as I'm traveling through the country or around the world. And listen, if I could maybe help you turn your passion into your profession or come to speak uh, to your business or to your school, you can visit lumangelo.com for more information. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin and the team over at Mouse Fan Travel. It's who I recommend because it's who I've been using for nearly a decade, whether you're going to world, land, cruise, or anywhere on the planet. Becky and her team will give you not only the best possible prices, all available discounts, but it is available to you at no cost. You can visit them at mousefantravel.com. Go to celebrationspress.com and subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And finally, and as always, my friends, and you are my friend, whether we've met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, 
please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Better yet, share a link to this or your favorite episode over on Facebook. And please take 30 seconds, rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you, we have more than 1,200 five-star reviews. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. It's a great way to help spread the word. I do want to take a second, thank some recent reviewers like Moja10S. My buddy Moja from the UK says, this is the best Disney podcast. And for a fan living in the UK, it provides him with his Disney fix whenever he wants it. GK Rat 10 says, dare I say, dare, dare. Lou is the best. He takes you on a magical journey every time you tune in. E. Solove says it's an amazing podcast. He's working his way from episode one to the last episode. He says the knowledge and the guests have provided so much more of an appreciation of a topic that he already had a great love for. And as he continues through the journey, he hopes he's going to be able to get together and come to a meetup in the in person. Also, Jim Meek, 55, WDW Bobbin. And C. Rasweller really, really do appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. If you want to leave a review, just search for WW Radio on iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there and give you instructions on how to do it. And finally, and as always, and I mean this sincerely, every single week, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and the fact that you take your time, which is your most valuable commodity, and you spend and share some of it with me. And I was thinking this week as I was responding to some of your emails and actually met a couple of you while I was out and about just how special this family and community is that you have created and how special and unique you are. And it made me think about one of my favorite Disney and underrated, I think, movies, which is so much about it is inspiring to me on on personal, even business levels. And one of my favorite quotes isn't one that comes from Walt Disney. It's from Meet the Robinsons. And the quote is, go show them how special you are. And I think you can and should do that same thing right now or as soon as possible. Stop waiting. Start doing. Remember, you are special. Just go out and show the world or one person just how special you really are. And you have done that and continue to do that for me just by being here and tuning in. And for that, I am eternally grateful. So I hope that you have the best day, the best week, and the beginning of the best year ever. Thanks so much. Stay hungry. See ya. Hi, Lou Mangiello, and good morning from Texas. This is Tori Hanauer, and you answered my question on the show a couple of weeks ago on your cruise questions. I appreciated your answers so much. I may or may not have squealed in my car when I was listening and heard my name. But I just wanted to comment on my favorite view. It's kind of one of those feel-good moments that you mentioned, too. But I love watching people that have never been to Disney World before experience things for the first time, especially kids when they meet characters. When I was at Disneyland in February, uh, I think this could happen in any Disney park, but I was watching a little girl watch Paint the Night for the first time. And Cinderella waved at her, and she turned around and looked at her dad and squealed, Dad, he's real. Those are my favorite moments, hands down. I think that you can't replace those moments. And I'm really excited to watch my husband experience Disney for the first time in March, and I hope we see you there. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, and then by default, Tim, I love the top ten plus list of sights and views, best views in Walt Disney World. There is one that I thought I might hear but didn't hear, and uh, really my 
favorite at night is in the Magic Kingdom in the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. Uh, it's it's such a calm kind of talk about otherworldly while you're in the middle of a theme park feeling anyway at night. Uh, but there's a landing about halfway up the tree, and if you look over uh, to the east, you'll see the Magic Kingdom lit up. And that's pretty much it's through a clearing and some leaves, and that's just about all you can see is the castle. Uh, you can maybe make out a few little things dimly, but you see a really great view of the castle from that landing. So I recommend Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse at night. Hello, how are you doing? This is Martin from the UK. Uh, Motor tennis in the box, finally got here. We're at the best place in the world, and this is why I wanted to make my first voicemail from. Yeah. We're at the Magic Kingdom, yeah! Uh, just wanted to say, hopefully I'll meet you while we're here. Um, looking forward to it. Oh my god, it's great to be here finally. Love the shows, watch, uh, listen to you all the time in the box. Um, you're great. Hashtag stay hungry, wonderful. Uh, you do a brilliant job for everybody. Um, can't wait to meet you. Hopefully a meet of the month will be great for that. Um, take care. And hopefully, yeah, see you soon. Crikey, shot here, Mary Poppins. Uh, Congaloosh. Good morning, Lee Mangello. It's Gabby from now Columbia, Maryland, now that we've moved. I'm calling you from um, Epcot, just entered World Showcase, um, and headed over for my Fast Pass for the new Frozen ride in Norway. I'm so excited. Um, it's been a pretty fun weekend here for my first day, and thanks again for greeting me in my e- when you responded to my email. Um, it's been very hot, very humid, but that's to be expected in August in Florida. Um, very excited for Frozen to finish off my birthday weekend, right? I've got my flight this evening, but I figured, hey, if my Magical Express isn't coming till 5 p.m., might as well go to the parks. Um, thanks again for responding to my email. Really looking forward to hearing back from you um, later on as you figure out plans for your e-ticket adventure in Puerto Rico. Um, but I guess that's it for now. Have a magical week, and maybe I'll call you back after I ride the frozen ride. So, again, have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Good morning, Lou Mangiello. It's Charlene Yagi from West Seneca, New York, and I am five days away from getting back into Walt Disney World. Then we are going to, before that, surprise my nieces that they are going. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We have then 81 days, almost 80 days away from our e-ticket adventure out of New York City. That is the closest port I probably will ever sail out of um, from here. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We've booked our shore excursions in St. Martin and Tortola. Can't wait to see what's happening in Puerto Rico. It's going to be so much fun with all of our friends and family. Then I have 39 days only until my daughter, Alicia, gets married to the man of her dreams. Uh, I am so excited. If you can't hear it in my voice, then I don't know, but I am totally, totally excited. Can't wait to see everybody in the world in a few days. It's just so magical. It's a beautiful day here. It's been in the 90s. 
I've been getting ready for that Florida sunshine. Have a magical day, everyone, and thank you, Lou, for all you do. All the thoughts he ever spoke appear in orange smoke. That's what makes the orange bird unique. Little orange bird, little orange bird, in the sunshine tree, in the sunshine tree. Won't you think of something sunny just for me? Think of funny thoughts, think of funny thoughts, or a sunny word, or a sunny word that will make.